Hey y'all, welcome to this week's episode of Thoughts of Peaches. This is Peaches. Hi Darren. Okay, so initially I had thought about doing the question and answer episode this week, seeing that I set up an account on ask.fm so people could ask anonymously in case they were afraid to ask me some really pressing questions. Um, I got a few questions, nothing super interesting, so I'm going to hold off for another week before I do the episode answering all of those questions and posting them for everyone to see. But this week is an episode that I was a little bit more inspired to do because of a few things between conversations with people and episodes of a few new shows and up and coming shows and the announcement of, um them resuming production on Pose Season 3, I wanted to do an episode called Legacy. Now, what I mean by legacy is what has been left to us from our ancestors or the generations before us to learn from, grow from, and build on, and what are we going to leave for those who come after us? Now, I don't mean direct lineage as far as family, but I mean like community and society legacy like what world are we going to leave for the generations to come as a whole as human beings and the human race um i am a openly gay black man so as far as the black and african-american community what are we leaving as the lessons for the next generation to come to learn from what are we doing to make sure they have a better world um for them than what we walked into for the lgbt community what legacy am i leaving for those coming up that are just discovering their um identity as within the community whether it be sexual orientation gender expression gender in general overall and things of that nature we have so many um founts of knowledge we can reach to from our past but are we truly optimizing those lessons that are learned are we truly learning from mistakes and missteps in the past and doing better or are we just going with the flow of what was there and not challenging ourselves to exceed the expectations of what was left for us are we just resting on the laurels of those who came before us as though we don't have any more work to do and that progress is not needed necessary or desired so as we go through this episode i'm going to touch on a few different topics to give a few specific examples from things I've seen and experienced in my life or things I've wanted to see or things that I've done. And hopefully we can have a meaningful dialogue conversation in the comments on social media and things like that about really being aware of our actions and how they are affected by the past and how they will affect the future. Now, normally, I wouldn't do a double intro like this, but I wanted to talk about my inspiration behind the picture for the cover art for this episode. I used a picture of James Baldwin walking down the street and my little Digi Peaches avatar almost walking behind him observing because James Baldwin in his writing and when he did interviews and his essays and things often spoke about the black experience, the queer experience, and the intersections of those two experiences, and how that affected his life, how that affected his perception of the world, how that um, 
motivated him, I don't want to say forced, but it motivated him to try to live elsewhere in the world where he felt those two existences were more congruent with the life he wanted to live. And I thought that was a very powerful um, visual to use because if you understand the world around you and you understand the identities of the person you represent, you kind of learn a lot more about how things move in the world. You learn more lessons from different directions and how they intersect and how they work with and around each other. And interesting story about James Balt when I took honors English in high school and they told us we had open um, format book reports to write for our final exam. Open format book report meant it wasn't something that was assigned in class. It was honors English. So we were reading stuff that was not on the traditional book list of the student body in our high school. So they told us we could pick whatever book we wished. Now, I've always been kind of the person ahead of the curve. So I had recently, at that point, come out of the closet and fully embraced my... Um, identity as a person in the LGBTQIA plus community. So I personally looked for books that related to that. And when I came upon James Baldwin's book, Giovanni's Room, and found out he was a queer black writer, I felt that spoke to me as something that I could do my book report on. And it was a very well-written book report that under reasonable circumstances should have gotten me an A, but I was asked to pick a different book because I was told the subject matter at the time was not appropriate for that particular forum. And I questioned and challenged it being there was an honors English class and we were supposed to be pushing past what normal traditional students did. I was confused at how that was considered improper or inappropriate subject matter. So that really stuck with me through a lot of my life as far as learning that even when you are given some sort of latitude to push boundaries, there are still upwards boundaries that people put in place. So as we begin starting to talk about this discussion of legacy, we have to understand the components of who we are. So we know what examples we are looking to and where we are drawing our inspiration and things from. Um, I am a gay black man who grew up in Newark, New Jersey. My father is from North Carolina. My mother is from New Jersey. So I have the influences of the North and the South through their black experiences where they intersect as well. I'm also a gay man, so I have... um, the experiences of the LGBT community, then going even deeper, the black experience within the LGBT community, um, some experience within the drag community as I, I don't call myself a full-time drag performer at one time. It was part of my life and my profession. Um, I am also a man living with HIV, um, and living with the Sigma status and all the concerns that come with that. So I have a lot to pull from as far as, Um, individual legacy inspirations, but also the legacy I will leave behind when my story is written. Um, And a lot of times I talk to people throughout my life, whether it be customers at the bar, friends, family, and et cetera. I'm very, very open 
and honest about who I am, what I do, where I'm coming from, and things like that, so that there's no real gray area to who I am to people. Because I want to make sure I control the narrative of who people see I am, who people see me as. Because sometimes people have a misconception and misperception because they're judging based off of what they hear from other people. I make sure that what you're hearing from other people is accurate to who I am. For example, if someone tells you Greg's a bitch, it's true. Because they probably either work for me and seeing the direct result of somebody trying my patience or doing something they're not supposed to, or they were that person experienced it firsthand. So that when people talk about me, the information and the legacy that I leave behind, whether it be a place I've worked or experienced somebody's life, is very accurate and true to who I am. It's not always going to be Greg's a bitch. A lot of people call me inspiration, a mentor, and things like that. And Not necessarily that I actively seek those titles out from people, but I understand that how I present myself, how I carry myself, the way I deliver information and the way I engage people can leave that impact on people. And that's part of controlling the narrative of your personal legacy. And when you do that, you leave nothing to chance as far as people knowing who you are and what you represent. Now... Especially when it comes that you, how you present yourself comes into play and in not only how you speak, how you dress, all of that factors into what you leave behind. What are people going to remember about you? What do they think when your name is, what, what is evoked when they hear your name or see a photograph of you? So being, being deliberate in how you dress yourself, the clothes you carry, what you wear, the colors, the jewelry and everything like that all factors into what you leave behind for people to remember of you. And a lot of that is influenced by what you saw growing up or what you see around you as life goes on with people who inspire you. And that is the legacy they're leaving upon you. And it's all interconnected. A lot of times people forget that they never know who's watching, who's listening, etc. and so forth. So you have to be mindful of what you put into the world, whether it have to do with politics, religion, financial opinions and literacy, any biases you have. You can't speak into existence something that you're not 100% behind because then people misread and then your legacy is tainted. Because if you're not a racist person, you say something racist, someone meeting you for the first time may hear that. And that's all they think of you. And then you've lost that connection or potential connection to who that person was on a deeper level than just your first impression. And even with how we spend our money and what we spend our money on, we learn that from the people who came before us and inspire us. So are we really leaving behind an example that makes sense, that can create longevity, that creates any sort of either emotional or fiscal wealth for people to live their life, or are we just perpetuating the buy what you see and live it, live as you will mentality? And also how we take care of ourselves. So what are we putting into our bodies? What are we eating and drinking? What substances are we partaking in? And are we teaching those things to other people? Are we passing along bad habits? Um, perfect example the concept of 
diet and nutrition not being spoken of in a lot of households unless you have a health issue. So when you're not taught that and you get to be an adult and you have all these health issues and you're wondering where they came from, guess what? And then you have to take it upon yourself while taking care of yourself to make sure that we're passing that information along to the next generation so hopefully they can live longer and healthier lives. And those are the things that once you take from whatever parts of your past or your ancestry, your community, you have to learn how to translate those into what you can leave for the future. I'm not saying you need to stand up and be a role model and a mentor to people and all of that, but you have to understand people follow the examples even when you don't know you're being an example to them. Now, let's start with the aspects of the legacy I was born into. I'm a black man. (laughs) I was born into a black family. I was raised around a lot of black things and black myths. Um, I was put into a private school when I was young called the Chad School, which had a very Afrocentric, pro-black focus. And that was what introduced me to the legacy of what it meant to be black And it was very intense as far as I can remember, because even as a child, I was an analyst in my thought process for a lot of things, same way I am to this day. And there was a lot of care put into how um, blackness was explained to me. But I also remember there being a lot of animosity to anything that wasn't black and even how people talked in social settings. And as although black people cannot be racist, they can be prejudiced and biased. And especially with this, their own separate set of racial slurs they use to describe other races and even people within blackness as well that didn't conform to what their ideologies were. So there's good and bad to... The legacy of blackness when we're taught because yes we need to embrace our heritage and the power of melanin and all of that but being taught hateful malicious things as far as how we interact with other people or calling people names like cracker and jaboogity and things like that that doesn't that doesn't help in a positive way that's like the darker parts of the legacy and having family from up north, well, where, where I grew up, and from down south, I also was exposed to a lot of discussions and conversations regarding color lines and colorism within the black community. Now, I was the, we'll say, the fairer of the three children that I was biologically raised with growing up, and my brother was darker-skinned. So we constantly heard that difference being made. They called my brother inky black and stuff like that. I was called high yellow and red bone and stuff like that. And as I got older, there were occasions where maybe if I wasn't around family and friends, people thought I was mixed. And through life, there have been opportunities I've taken to use that to my advantage because the world we live in does have a legacy of colorism where the darker pigmentation of someone's skin gives them lesser opportunity and makes them less um, attractive to people or makes certain situations less advantageous than those who are lighter 
have an easier way to go, so to speak. I'm pretty brown now, but I'm by no means dark-skinned. So there's still some ambiguity as far as what I am allowed to do and what some of our darker counterparts are. And that's left from um, the ages of segregation and slavery. A lot of things I learned about colorism and the separation, I learned from my family from down south. They're the ones who told me about things like the paper bag test, where if you went to an establishment and you were darker than the paper bag, you couldn't come in or you had to use the back entrance for the colored people. And that was because adjacency to whiteness was offered some sort of privilege it was you're better than not realizing that if you constantly gonna believe the same way um then there's the whole concept of good hair which was always funny to me and i don't think a lot of um black and brown people understand how they reinforce this warped ideology of good hair by making it sound like if you have natural hair you're not as attractive or it's not as attractive or it's not as comforting to white people because it reminds them that you're not white. Now, in the era we live in now, there's this whole resurgence of natural hair, natural hair care and stuff like that because people are re-embracing and reclaiming their blackness. But I remember having to forcefully and aggressively comb and brush my hair so my hair wouldn't look peasy or nappy so that I wouldn't look like a hood. And I'm sitting there thinking in my head, I'm like, how does my hair texture have anything to do with me being a criminal? I don't understand. And I understood as I got older, and again, I have an analyst mind, that that came from usually people who were criminals way back when, didn't have the resources or time to properly take care of their hair, thus their hair was usually matted, peasy, aggressively coarse, and nappy. But now I got all kinds of Dex products, hair grease, hair mayonnaise, and cholesterol in my hair. Why are, why are we going through this? Why are you putting this thought in my head that something about my natural hair was wrong? Now, mind you, I'm not being a hypocrite because if any of you that know me, my hair goes through all kinds of phases, and most of them are chemically induced. That has nothing to do with the... Um, issue I have with my hair having anything to do with race or me wanting to be closer to being white or something like that. I just like the versatility and the fact that I have features that I can wear different things in my hair that other people can't. And I can play with colors and stuff like that. But in order to achieve that, I have to use chemicals. So that's more of my thing. It's more of an art piece than anything else. It has nothing to do with a aversion to my blackness. Now, then we get into something that's a little bit more deep for me because um, several of my family members and I have had this discussion because we've all experienced the same things in life. And this is more so with my family in New Jersey because it was a lot more prevalent that we had to deal with these things just because of when you have family from the South and then you live up north and you go see them, you'll hear these things. And a lot of times, a lot of my family members from New Jersey will go visit family members down south or they went to college down south and things like that. And they experienced the same thing I did. And that's the um, experience of being told you talk white. And again, it's rooted in something real, but then was warped into something almost used as an insult or a slap in the face to question someone's blackness in that 
black people were not traditionally allowed to educate themselves, learn to read and write. Thus, they were not inclined or able to speak properly, grammatically correct English. And those who were, were privileged to be either be lighter or they were the son or daughter of the slave master or some sort of arrangement where they got an opportunity. So then that gets passed along generationally, again, legacy, that the concept is if you speak in articulate, clear diction, with clear diction in an educated tone, you are said to be talking white because black people normally were not educated. Over time, that became like an insult or a slap in the face, you would say to somebody to challenge their blackness because like, oh, you talking white, you must want to be white. No, I don't want to be white. I just had the opportunity to get an education. It's just naturally how I speak. And I experienced this from an early age. And it even offended my mother a few times when people would say to her, oh, my God, your son is so articulate. And my mother's like, he's not supposed to be articulate. Why? Why is he not supposed to be articulate? I don't understand. Why is that even a valid thing to say? Do you know how that comes off? Do you know that, how that makes that sound? Like a little black boy is not supposed to be articulate and speak proper English. So then another part of the legacy that gets carried with blackness a lot of times that tends to cause issues later in life is the legacy known as soul food. Now, mind you, I can cook the house down. But as I got older, I slowly started to learn some of those cooking techniques and some of those items may not be the healthiest to be eating on a regular basis, but we do what we are taught and we assimilate to what is around us. So when we, you don't have the resources to go get fresh fruits and vegetables and get healthier food items and things like that, you cook what's there. And as generations go on, if that's all you know, at, for generation after generation, that becomes the cultural identity of the culinary profile of your culture. Black people, we have soul food. It's not the healthiest food. Um, fat back, whole malls, pig's feet, the big-ass tray of macaroni cheese with 7,000 cheeses, all the butter and everything like that. It tastes delicious except for chitlins. I do not approve chitlins. I do not condone chitlins for anybody. Sorry if I'm offending anyone, but that that's, that's a hard pass. But that's what we grew up with because that's what we had. And over time, we're now learning either to stray away from that because it's not good for us or make create healthier alternatives where we can maintain that love and care that that food conveys, but do it in a way that's healthier because how, so many black people have high blood pressure, hypertension, the sugar, also known as diabetes. And it comes from us not having a good nutritional legacy because of the food we were subjected, forced, and um, at, to a, a certain extent, given no choice but to eat and seek out. Didn't, didn't have enough nutritional value, but that's all we had for a very long time. And as we move forward, we need to start adjusting for the legacy we leave behind because we need to understand that there are multiple shades of black. Melanin adjusts in different levels. So you have some people that are fully black. They're very, very fair-skinned. You have some that are very, very dark-skinned, and we need to give everybody equal footing and not have this whole fear of the darkness that has been brought on by white supremacy in um, the ages of um, white privilege and white adjacency being the goal. We also have to understand the concept that 
there is black culture that has been developed and grown even in the shadow of everything that's going on. And we need to honor that in a very realistic, wholesome way from music to art to writing to literature. But we also need to make sure that at the core of that is some form of expression of love, respect, and honor for our own people. From the lyrics we use in songs to the artistic depictions we have in TV and film. To weaponize our melanin in the sense that don't be afraid of your blackness. In the Caribbean, there's an epidemic of people bleaching their skin and stuff like that because they want to be more adjacent to whiteness. No, love the skin you're in. Find out how to love yourself. So many people straightening their hair for reasons that are not necessarily because they like the look of something. It's because they don't want see they won't they don't want 4c hair oh it's too hard to work with then learn create the beauty you want to see you want people to take you as you are then you need to accept yourself as you are you need to be able to understand that being proper speaking proper having good manners dressing nice and clothes that fit is not a bad thing it's not being uppity, as they call it. Use another thing, use as an insult. Having good manners and speaking property. Oh, use an uppity Negro. No, I'm not uppity. I just have home training. I don't go into places saying, give me this, give me that, making demands or requests without saying please and thank you, or expecting the sun, the moon, the star, and the skies of people without offering some form of courtesy in return. This includes tipping at restaurants. I've addressed that before in episodes. I want to repeat this again. Black people. I know it's not a majority of us to do this, but those of you who are not, you're making the rest of the people look bad. Get it together. And also, eating for your soul. This goes to the concepts of both nutritional eating and spiritual eating. Um, I've had this conversation briefly with members of my family who are more religious and we, some of them we've had to have an agree to disagree moment. But here's my point of view on this. We were taught the Bible was a key to our salvation. That whatever we, ancestral legacy, ancestral heritage, ancestral knowledge, religion, spirituality, from where we were taken from, was the way of heathens and savages. But there was a peace and a connection to nature attached to those practices that we can reclaim and see where we came from. Now, again, I've never addressed religion on the podcast. I'm going to do a separate episode about that, but here's a nutshell. I love that people glorify and deify a religion that was forced upon them in the form that it is now and vilify the religion that was taken from them when you see other people practicing it. I find it interesting that knowing that these practices, whether it be um, if you're Afro-Latino, you have Santeria. Um, if you're going all the way back to West Africa, you have the Yoruba traditions. If those of you who are in Louisiana have the modified version that's now become known as Voodoo, or even those in Haiti and Jamaica, that comes from where we were taken from. That had to get over here somehow. It's not some newfangled darkness that just came from this world. That Those were the practices. These were the spirits and deities that we worship and called upon in our ancestral home. And that was taken away from us out of fear. So 
not saying that you going to church and praising the Lord and all of that is something you shouldn't do, but don't vilify or demonize somebody who is more connected with their ancestral heritage. Um, and even with the food, maybe learn how to make things a little differently. Uh, you see a lot of people using air fryers and stuff like that in this healthy food movement. There's a lot of soul food places. I believe I read an article or saw something on TV about a vegan soul food place. Those are things we're moving in the right direction, but we need to encourage that to be part of the legacy we leave for those little black boys and little black girls coming after us so they know there is a wide array of ways they can express their blackness by their choice, not being forced sequestered or reprimanded because they don't fall in line with what is the status quo. Okay. Now, we get into the saucy stuff. <laughs> I just had to say it like that because it's funny. Um, so the other side of my legacy and identity I want to address in this episode is um, the gay stuff, the gay shit, as they call it in the hood amongst the girls um there's been a lot that has gone on within the lgbt community as far as what has come before that i draw direct inspiration from and i am very connected with communicating that to other people because um as much as there has been going on with the black legacy in my in my um, life, I feel like more people need to know the facts of gay history because it's more shunned and less talked about overall, but more so in the black community just because of what the ancestral legacy of the black community has kind of, the kind of light it's put on um, any sort of same gender attraction or same gender behavior from acts that were committed during slavery and the slave trade to um, LGBT people during the civil rights movement being asked to step out of the limelight because they felt they would distract from the movement and things of that nature or even how the black church dealt with the beginnings of the HIV and AIDS crisis. There's a lot of... Um, disparity that the black community has left um, with the gay community. So I tend to focus a lot, especially working in an LGBT space, about the intersections between those two identities and how those legacies overlap and intersect and intermingle and sometimes come in conflict. So if we going to go back to the most legendary of the incidences of legacy for the gay community, in my opinion, it would be the era of Stonewall. Now, I call it the era of Stonewall because during that time, there was more than Stonewall happening around the country. But Stonewall was the one that got the most press and publicity and stuff like that, because you also have the Compton Cafeteria riots. You have the um, upper room lounge fire down in Louisiana, if I'm not mistaken, it wasn't a lot of things going on um, around the civil disrest the gay community had because they were tired and fed up and disgusted with being treated like second class citizens. Then even amongst that era, you get into the formation of what we now know as the house and ballroom scene that is an I don't want to say offshoot because it seems like there's a technically a positive correlation but 
again, racism and racial disparities caused the legendary Crystal LaBeija to decide that the drag pageant and culture that had developed within the gay community was did not create spaces for blackness or brownness or any sort of minorities. So she was the pioneer to what we now know as the House of Ballroom scene, which its origins are primarily black and Latino, but now it's opened up to a more diverse array of people. But its origins were due to the fact that the gay community was not creating space for black and brown people. Again, one of those points of intersection. Um, Then you have the HIV and AIDS epidemic that rocked across the entire world, but was very heavily hit by the LGBT, was very heavily hit in the LGBTQIA plus community because there wasn't very much talk and education about what it meant to have same gender attractions along the entire spectrum of the community, let alone gay men. And there was a lot of miseducation, misinformation, um, and behaviors that were not necessarily safely practiced because people didn't talk about things. You didn't talk or educate yourself about needy condoms for anal sex and stuff like that, or you need to use lubricant so you don't get anal fissures and bleed and then all these kind of things. And just the lack of communication and conversation regarding these matters led to so much misinformation that a lot of people lost their lives because they didn't know any better. And that's why when I talk about, as they say, gay shit, I'm very passionate about it because the more people know, the more they're informed about their choice, they can do better. Or if they choose to do something that's risky or irresponsible, they know the consequences and hopefully are prepared to deal with them. Um, oh, Jesus. Then marriage equality comes in years and years later, um, which I found annoying that it took so long because why is who I'm marrying any of your goddamn business? But that goes to similarly what I was talking about with the religion. Religion jumps in and kind of warps and corrupts things and shifts them in a way to achieve the goals of the people in power. I can't wait to do my episode on religion. I need to decide who I'm going to have on as a guest because that is going to be an interesting conversation because there's so much to unpack with that. But this is another one of the situations where this will be a separation of church and state. Why is someone's church telling me what the state has to decide regarding who I love? Along with that, you have don't ask, don't tell in the military where they're saying you cannot be a service individual if you were openly homosexual, but I can go over and die for my country, but I cannot die for my country as a whole person. I have to hide who I am or my partner, the person I love at that time could not receive the benefits offered to um, heterosexual couples if something should happen to me while I am giving my life and defending my country. That was a whole shit show hot mess. This is the legacy that's been built up a lot for the LGBT community. Um, and you see things like the show Pose. You're seeing a couple of things popping up in that new show, Lovecraft Country, that are highlighting these issues. And the and also in Pea Valley, for example, the scene where Uncle Clifford is talking to Little Murder about why they can't go on a date. They can't go get no lemon pepper wings down by the river. They'll end up in the river. And... 
that's where the intersection of those legacies come into play because this is black queer issues but it's a black issue and it's a queer issue people want to deal with them individually instead of coming together but now we're seeing more of the coming together and the convergence so things can be handled the right way so we can teach things and leave a legacy for those to come where they don't feel like they have to separate those two identities even within the concepts of the house and ballroom scene, you're seeing so much more diversity and so much more mainstream appeal that's pulling it out of the underground. Um, part of the issue people are having is there's a rawness that's being left behind in a certain extent, in certain aspects. The people are missing out on They're caught up in the bogey and the performance and the carrying on and not understanding the root of family that comes along with being in a house and calling somebody mother and father where that comes from. And we, we're starting to see more visibility. Yes, we give all these letters LGBTQIA+, because there's 18,000 other people under the umbrella. But we need to make sure we're making room and space for the visibility of all of our brothers and sisters that exist within that spectrum. It's not just gay and lesbian. There's a lot of... Um, lacking bi visibility or there's like bi erasure everybody's like oh no they're on the bi now gay later plan some people are legitimately bisexual it exists they're doing studies to, that have proven and shown that bisexuality is a real thing you're seeing a lot a lot a lot of movement in trans visibility not only because of shows like pose and p valley and um we're here rupaul's drag race and stuff like that but there's a, an, oh, this is so painful to say, but there's an unparalleled amount of trans people being murdered and nothing being done about it. It's not getting the same press as everything else. And again, another intersection. A lot of them are people of color. A lot of them are black. And black people are so focused on the quote-unquote core discussion of Black Lives Matter that when you say black trans lives matter, some people actually get offended and feel like they need to wait their turn or this isn't the time. No, this is definitely the time. Because we're dying. And we're dying not since I'm a person of trans experience. I mean, we're dying since our people are dying. Doesn't matter if they're male, female, non-binary, gender non-conforming cis trans or otherwise they are our people they are human beings they are black people they are queer people and the legacy we need to leave for our communities is we need to protect our people there's also a lot of racial disparities within the lgbt community that i find laughable that you're marginalized and you further marginalize people you see some people's profiles that say no facts no femmes no asians or only into black guys or you see like the bbc big black cock things in people's profiles because they're alienating and fetishizing people and everybody has fetishes that's cute but you need to be respectful with how you articulate them and not make it so adjacent to back when they used to have <laughs> and i saw this and i it hurt my spirit to see they used to have little black children on leashes as pets for white kids as fetish there was there was a fetish to have a, a, a niglet or a pickaninny as a pet. This is almost like the adult version of it. You glorifying and deifying. Oh, I want your big black. You're, you're perpetuating 
a legacy of foolishness, to be perfectly honest. Understandably, I can say I find myself more attracted to Latinx men and men of Latin culture, but that's more of a psychological thing from something that I've experienced in my life that I have fully addressed and acknowledged, but it's not a fetish. I can give you a concrete logical reason for it. It's not just because, ooh, black men have huge dicks. Personally, I don't like big dicks, so whatever. But my reasonings are logical. I can give an explanation. I can give a concrete reason that makes sense, not just because, oh, I want a big black dick. Don't, don't, that's not the legacy we want to leave where that should be something to seek after. You just want a big dick. Great. Why does the color of the dick matter? As long as it looks clean, there's no disease, there's no bumps, bruises, rashes, or otherwise, take it and go. But you don't need to add that connotation to make it seem like something is only valuable because of the fetish element of it. There's also the butch versus femme argument, which I've done and addressed this on multiple episodes. Um, We need to stop bottom shaming, femme shaming, um, because we're all humans. We're all grown men, grown women, grown people of whatever gender and gender expression. And we all valid and deserve to be accepted equally on equal footing. And then we also need to understand there's a lot of healing that needs to be done across the whole spectrum. LGBTQIA+, black, brown, colored, even in this country with everything that has gone on everything that is going on, 2020 being this huge dumpster fire, we need to take the time to sit down and like really look at ourselves and what's going on and realize that we need a breath. We need to stop looking for people to point fingers at for saying, you victimize me. Stop looking for people to victimize or vilify and look at what we need to do to do better for everybody. Not just our own personal goals and claiming it's for everybody, but what is the best for all of us? What is the best for black people? What is the best for people of color in general? What is the best for women? What is the best for trans people? What is the best for cis people? What is the best for the entire LGBTQIA plus community? What is the greatest collective good we can do? And that should be the legacy we leave to the generations coming so that they keep that going so that when they look back on this point in history, they see we made a turning point and left something meaningful, something useful, something concrete for them to um, live off of. So this is going to be the first time I've done like a legitimate peach pit rant and I think a real good little while. It's not directly related to the episode, just an observation from some things over the couple of weeks and some things I've seen on social media, people need to realize you get treated as you behave. It's not always about your race. Um, It's not always about your gender expression or how you express your sexuality and stuff like that. Sometimes it's just how you act. If you go into a restaurant and you are very dismissive and cold and you talk at the staff instead of to them and you're not pleasant, don't be surprised when they give you limited energy or conversation or rapport because that's what you've put out to them. If you have something happen that you don't like and you immediately go from zero to 60 
without trying to rectify the problem in a calm, responsible manner at first, don't be upset when you are dealt with with the same level of animosity and aggression. You get equal response to equal behavior. If you go into a someone's place of business and do something that's clearly against the rules and they are kind enough to offer you a reprieve or a warning to tell you not to do it and you continue to do such behavior. Don't be surprised when you're asked to leave. And if you choose not to leave and are forcibly removed, don't play the victim. I work in bars, nightclubs, and restaurants. This happens all the time. Somebody wants to act crazy or do something reckless, then they're upset when they're asked to leave. Then they want to pop fly like we did something wrong or we're out of place. And then when we have to physically remove them because they don't want to move, they're questioning why we're doing it. Because we asked you nicely. Because there's common decency that you should convey in public and you did not do so. Or you come to a place regularly, they give you amazing service, great rapport, sociable staff, and you don't tip. And then when you come back again and you're trying to figure out why all that sociable service and that rapport is gone, it's because people don't work off of you were amazing and thank you. Money is how you show your gratitude when you go to a bar or restaurant. And if you cannot afford to tip, go somewhere else and eat where you can pick up your food and go home or learn how to cook because people don't work for free. And then you want to claim it's bad service because they didn't speak to you. They didn't check on you enough. They weren't very sociable. They weren't very sociable because you've already developed a reputation for not willing to pay for that level of service. So you get what you pay for. Or if you are harassing someone at somebody's place of business and you were asked to leave that person alone and you choose not to leave them alone and then you were asked to leave, I don't understand why you're shocked when they're like, well, you have to go. Well, why do I have to go? Well, you're bothering people. They ask you nice to leave. You won't leave them alone and go to your own space. So we're just going to ask you to leave the whole establishment. You're not being why you leave for tonight. Just a diffuse situation. Then when you keep, you want to keep talking and arguing about why, and you wonder why most of the videos you see about bouncers and managers kicking people out, they don't start the video until after the customer's already done the crazy shit. So then you only see one side of the story. So be very careful when judging those videos. Case in point, the one that was just recently shown with the woman on the airplane and the flight attendant had to push past her. What you don't see is potentially... How many times that flight attendant asked someone to sit down and move out of the way? And before you make this a racial issue, it's not always have anything to do with people being black. Sometimes it's just because you're in the fucking way or you're doing something you have no business doing. It's not because you're black because you're an asshat. Everything's not racist. A lot of things are, but we can't immediately jump to that as to, oh, they're doing it because I'm black. No, I'm doing it because you're a dummy. Thank you. This has been another episode of Thoughts for Peaches. Thoughts with Peaches. Have a good night.